Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing very, very well. This is episode number 71. I'm joined by a great guest, Vas Krishnan. Vas is based out of Sydney. He's a physio, he's an SNC, he's a sports scientist. He's an athlete and a coach, mostly in the domains of track and field, and he has a specific interest in sprinting himself, and he works and coaches a lot of national-level sprinters as well for the last few years. Um, Vast that, that bio, I think, is a little bit too impressive. You're going to make people jealous from the beginning. Um, uh, but no, super nice guy. I've known Vast probably a few years now. I think we did an online session, maybe one or two, or maybe more. I can't remember when Vast was still in uni studying to be a, a physio i think i can't remember vast i should have asked you about this but i think he had an issue or something and we were just chatting about a few ways that he could maybe try and clean it up at the time and yeah he came to our workshop then in sydney as well and i got to know him a little bit better super good guy uh, super smart guy so it was great to have a chat we chatted a lot about sprinting the gait cycle the importance of arm swing um hamstring tears what you could maybe start to put that down to and he had a specific case that he was able to kind of dive into um plyometrics kind of progressions regressions and how to just think about different plyometric exercises and how you can get different benefits from different exercises uh compensations in the gait cycle um whether they're good or bad and how to kind of spot them things like that diversity in your work life in the industry so obviously vast has wears a few different hats and he talks or we kind of chatted about like maybe maybe that's the secret to longevity or maybe that's important to not go to not to not be driven too insane so lots and lots of good stuff there uh if you like it give vast a follow obviously the tags and stuff will be in the show notes um give it a share for both of us that would be great but yeah i think you're really going to like it if you're into human movement at all which you are because you're listening to this podcast then super uh, loads of really good info there um so yeah i think vast is going to also maybe do a presentation for our member site djr interactive so um if you're a member there you should be looking forward to something really good as well to come so yeah without further ado here's the episode and i'll see you guys on the other side you at the same workshop as soshi oh yeah i was at the same workshop as soshi yeah she's lovely yeah 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 i did one with her yeah she's brilliant she's great so i was at one with her i did one with her um and that was it i think when i was in australia yeah, because I can imagine like, like just like I guess lugging stuff around and doing is just a headache. Nah, nah, we just hired a podcast studio for that one. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, so that was good. That was good. I would, I would do a bit more of that. Um, I'd prefer the in-person ones. Like they are better. There's just a better connection and. I wouldn't definitely wouldn't lug mics around. I would just hire a studio, but that's expensive too. It's not yeah, cheap. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine like every place in the world has like readily available podcast studios as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big cities like do, but even um, even in Sydney, we were trying to get one around Bondi, Bondi Junction. Uh, there was one like Kira was on. Um, Kira was on. I don't know some website when we were trying to figure out one like around somewhere around Bonda Junction or something like that and she came across this guy who like claimed to have a podcast studio and it was like it was his kitchen table and he had a picture of two mics on his, at his kitchen table which is fine um 
and he was like renting out. It was almost like an Airbnb for podcasting, which makes sense. But there was a little bit of like Jeffrey Dahmer. There was a little bit of Jeffrey Dahmer kind of vibes off it. So we didn't go with that one. Yeah, yeah, it's probably smart. I didn't want to like go in for a podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was a bit of that off it. So I stayed away from that. Oh yeah. God. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so the last recording I didn't. So tell tell me about your tell me about your surgery because I uh, oh, really yeah, yeah. caught so, a little bit of that. Oh yeah, so I I mean I I got a a posterior pubic mesh fusion uh, done via laparoscopy, laparoscopy, um, and it, it it was yeah to to stabilize my pubic symphysis because I had a. a 3.8 mil shift in my pubic symphysis on single leg stance. Um, and I, I just had a whole bunch of pathology in and around the groin because of the instability. Um, and I tried to do it, can manage it conservatively for probably two years. And I'd done like, like heaps of rehab for it. So even some of your exercises, your programs and stuff. Um, so and ha- had you known about, you've known about that for a few years? Uh, I've known about it for a while, yeah, um, and like I even had PRP injections done, which I mean the research for that's not even very good, but I just I got probably that thirty percent improvement in symptoms, um, and then talked to sports doctor, talked to a professor in hernias, um, and then um, the Olympic sports doctor, and then a re- professor in radiology, and they sort of like looked at all of my stuff together. Uh, and decided that I would be a good candidate for the surgery because the surgery only really works if you fit into like a small like sort of population size, which is that you fail conservative treatment and that you fail any injection sort of intervention. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really like the last resort sort of thing. Um, and like the biggest things mm-hmm. for me were like I had like central clicking and, and just essentially instability signs, pain and abduction any split stance stuff was pain. It was all centralized pain as well, like central pubic pain, not like adductor origin pain. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Is it common? Was, is that common? No, it's really, like, it's very, very uncommon. Especially it, the only population that's common in is high-velocity sports uh, males aged 21 to 25, so essentially before the male pelvis matures. Um, okay. And, unfor- and I've gone through, like, obviously a high amount of force production acutely and you know in those age in the age group between 21 and 25 before my pelvis matured which i just didn't know about like i've done like bulgarian split squats at like in the smith machine at like 220 kilos and stuff like that and it's just like unnecessary shear force um and then i'd also mm-hmm. also because i've had an ankle and knee surgery as well when i was younger like 16 and 19 um that like those extended periods of non-weight bearing when I was in like my development, um, they think may have led to some, like, I guess, lack of structural development in, in and around that, that area. Um, but it is what it is. I can't really do anything about it. I'm, I'm just, I just want to run, man. <laughs> I just want to run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of people. It's just, that's yeah. it's, it's really interesting though, like that that is how that maybe could develop that little bit of instability there. Um, oh, and it's like such a small yeah, amount. I'm so like I'm up I'm to uh, up to two mils is is normal, but it's like that extra one point eight mils is like then catastrophic because pub- you're not meant to get pubic ray stress. One of the signs that you actually have it is that you've got stress in your pubic ray because 
they, you can't get stress in your pubic ray mass typically because um, it's not a load, like it's not an area that takes load. So it's only if you have a shift that you usually do get it. Uh, it's actually a surgery they do on um, mm-hmm. women after pregnancy if they have a lot of instability um, mm-hmm. present and they still have like issues, like the people that actually have SIJ issues, for example, sometimes it's from an yeah. anterior central thing um, after birth. So the surgery is they they put they put in like a piece of mesh in behind the pubic symphysis. Yeah, in behind. Yeah, that's right. And it just acts as like it, essentially the way it was posed to me is it acts as a scaffold to then help you repair as per normal. Um, and just and, and it's like a flexi mesh, so it, it you don't lose all the movement in the pubic symphysis because if you they previously used to do like a pinning where they put like a rod across and pin them in on both sides, but they found that people fracture it off, the pins off, which is yeah, like way yeah. worse. So they just put in like a little yeah. supporting <laughs> mesh, um, um, which it, which I mean, theoretically should be a lot better. Um, but we'll see. like it, it, it's, I mean, they usually do it on like sort of AFL hockey, like ice hockey and stuff. Um, it's more common in those mm-hmm. sports. Um, not mm-hmm. so common in sprinting, um, but again, and also more common in female athletes, but there is, uh, you know, it's like it's a small percentage. It's just, I probably, for me, I think it's just perfect storm. Yeah. What, uh, what's the rehab involve? Or are you walking around now? Yeah, yeah, I'm walking around now. So like, I mean, I could walk straight away. It's just like more the, where the incisions were that were sore. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's probably going to be like, four weeks slow reintroduction into the gym and then the goal is to probably for me i'm taking it slow because like i don't have a, a, a specific time pressure um they'd say they do push some of like the professional football players like in eight weeks to get back to gameplay um mm-hmm. i was like cool standards like 12 i'll probably take like you know start my return to run at week eight and then uh, just like essentially yeah. gradually increase my percentages um, because they've never really done it with, or at least the surgeon that I was working with hasn't done many, like done it with sprinters. And because the, obviously the force profile is very different. So I was going to take, I just decided to take a bit more, I guess, conservative sort of route with it um, yeah. because of the, the high intensity. Yeah. Um, is it going to be then, I presume you're, are you, are you doing your rehab yourself then? Are you uh, like I'm, I'm gonna. I think it's, yeah, it's gonna be a bit of a, like I'm hopeless doing my own rehab. Like, I can do it and I can write <laughs> yeah, it, of course, and I can do my own programming. But like, I don't know. I need. I just need to remove the thinking from like. So I have a coach. Like I'm like, people are like, oh yeah, like you know everything. So then like you can just like do it yourself. I'm like, yeah, I could, but then like I never. I just either over prescribe or under prescribe or like just do the stuff that I like, which is like not necessarily things that I need. Um, So I I sometimes like to just take, remove myself from it a little bit. And also like, you know, training is like me time. I don't want to have to like work, like be in my work brain, try and like just sit into being an athlete a bit more. Um, Something which I've failed at horribly in the past. Like I tried to coach myself like six months, worst six months of training ever done. It was just all over the shop. Every week the program was changing, just going up and down all over the place and circles and upside. I was like, no, nah, this isn't working. 
Mm-hmm. That's why when I'm finished with clients here, like I got, I got in pretty bad shape for a couple of years and it was literally just because I was just working with clients all day. The last place I wanted to be was in the gym. I was just getting the fuck out of there every time. And it ha- it was also a perfect storm where I wasn't, I stopped playing football at that time. So like that was, that was my outlet. And I stopped enjoying playing football around that time as well. So I just literally had no appetite to get in There's the no gym motive. and I had no other sporting outlet. So it was just, nah. There's just no motivation to train. I totally understand this because this has been me in limbo for like the last year. I've just been like sort of like I got the injections and I was like uh, trying to rehab. Like, is it going to work? But then I'm also like my coaching's picking up. I'm doing a lot more from a physio point of view. Like it's like, oh, it's easy to just sort of push it on the back burner because it's like, well, I'm not really competing anytime soon. I don't plan to compete anytime soon. There's no like time pressure it's like it's kind of like what the melbourne strength culture guys were talking about with this um was it lift uh and run uh push pull run that's what heavy's on a run that's it yeah heavy's on a run that's it it's like it's like but just by having the event like it's a it's a made-up event right like it's just having the event like it, it pushes you to just train a bit more harder and have a little bit of intensity with things and i guess a bit more vigor and intent mm-hmm. and uh Oh man, I can completely understand that. Totally sympathize with you. Yeah. <laughs> I always I always wonder how people just go to the gym for years where they're not like training to be a bodybuilder. They're literally just training to like feel a bit better and look a bit better. I I, I, I applaud their discipline to just keep going because oh. if I don't have something to train for, it's fucking it's a mess for me. That's why jiu-jitsu has been good for me because I literally just... The only thing, my only job is to get out of the car, like get into the car and then go there and get out of the car and walk in the door. And then it's successful yeah. because I know I'm just there. I don't have to literally use another brain cell basically while I'm there. Well, I, I do, but not not in the way that I would usually use them. Exactly. This is me with going to the gym. Like I'll finish working in a gym all day. I'll get in my car and drive to another gym just so that... I'm I'm like okay I'm in the car to go to the gym like yeah. I'm not I'm not at work like yeah. I'm like I work in a gym that I built it's like it's nothing wrong with the gym but I drive and go to another gym so that I'm I'm driving to the gym it's exactly. just so backwards that's why trainers like you see personal trainers who get into the industry where like they just because they love training and it's probably the worst thing they could ever do because you're gonna end up hating training um, oh god. So yeah, it's just hey, you sucking your life a, out. Of <laughs> you need to give us a bit of an intro. Um, oh, yeah, oh for like fifteen minutes. Uh, so okay. who are you? Uh, so uh, I'm Vas Christian, aka the Sprinting Physio on Instagram and socials. Um, I'm a sprinter uh, as an athlete, uh, a coach, and a physio, uh, and I've worked in probably, I guess you could say, the high performance environment for like the last probably two to three years. Um, I've been uh, an average athlete probably due to my own injuries and mismanagement um and that's probably what has led me into the path of sort of physiotherapy and coaching in general um and they've helped me i guess i may provide the things that i wish was provided to me um and i guess that's probably i guess similar to david in the fact that maybe didn't get the best management. Um, and so he's better able to manage other people because he sort of just had to figure out stuff on his own. 
Um, and I feel that's probably me to, to a certain degree as well. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. What age are you, Vas? Uh, I'm 26, turning 27. <laughs> cool. You should be coming Very into young. your prime. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's that's what I'm hoping. Uh, you know, maybe maybe my peak's at 32. That's what I keep telling myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you if you could divide like your work life into like physio, the like maybe the S and C side of things, and maybe the actual coaching sprinters. How would you divide them percentages wise? That's a tough question. Far out. That's a hard question. Um, That is very hard to answer because I do all of those roles for sprinters. So it's like, yeah, it's like, if you ask me how much time I'm spending with sprinters, it's probably like 50% of my time. But Mm -hmm. in, I guess, what context in a coaching context, I probably, uh, if I was, I probably spend about, I want to say 40% of my time, like coaching, like sprinters. Um, and then I'm probably in the clinic, generally speaking, the rest of the time, um, either like doing SNC or, or, or physio stuff. Um, or like a combination of both. Like, I think for me, it's, it's very hard for me to answer that question. Cause I, even from a physio point of view, like I sort of end up providing all three. Like I end up providing mm-hmm. like the, the end stage rehab, return to running, return to sprinting stuff. But then I also do all the S&C and then I just end up programming a lot of the time as well. Like, cause I sort of see people initial injuries, but then, you know, they sort of figure out like, oh, hang on. Like he's like my, even the rehabs, like even the S&C part is integrated in there. So they're like, why would I just, why would I go anywhere else? It sort of naturally mm-hmm. integrates itself. Um, as like, mm-hmm. oh, well, he's also got like the running stuff and like, cause you want to involve that in the end stage rehab, you end up doing it as well. Um, yeah. I don't know if that even answered your question, to be honest. Nah, it's kind of, it, it, it is the answer. Hey guys, David here. Just a very short break from the show. Just wanted to remind you, DGR Interactive, our members-only platform. Uh, there's 800 coaches and therapists uh, learning with us every week in there. It's pretty much like our own little mini university where there's over 200 videos that breaks down everything about movement that you can imagine. Practicals, theories, case studies, uh, biomechanics, rehab, strength training, plyometrics, absolutely everything each by body part and all that stuff so if you're interested in movement you want to get better results with your clients and ultimately have a better career then i strongly recommend you join us so i'll put the link in the show notes for dgr interactive it's hard yeah. to, to to bucket it out and i'm just interested by that because when you're when you have like different skills that all tie together like what's the one what's the one that you end up using the most or where would you, maybe a better question is, where would you like to end? Where would you like it to, where would you like it to be? Would you like to be like doing a lot more of just the physio side of things? Would you like to be doing a lot more of the coaching side of things? Um, yeah, say 10 years time, five years time, what would you do? What would you like to See, do? That's a really interesting question because I think the thing that makes coaching tolerable 
physio tolerable and SNC tolerable is that I do them in small doses. And yeah, it's like, if like, I, I, I can tell you right now, I could never, ever like all credit to the people who are physios full time and are just in the clinic, seeing patient after patient and like doing it five, six days a week, sometimes seven or like doing five days a week in sports coverage on the weekend. That is just not for me. I could never, mm. ever do it. Like, I, I look at people doing it and I'm like, man, like, I don't know how you're doing that. Um, and I, I just know so I would not. Oh, man, it's 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 unbelievable. Even like to some degree, like I admire you, like the amount of stuff that you've been able to do in like, frankly, a really short period of time and lateralize yourself across a lot of like different areas is really impressive. But it's also like I can understand it's a little bit more like tolerable in a sense like imagine if you were just doing online consults like twenty four seven, like five days a week. Yeah, like you'd be you'd be flocked. You'd be absolutely but, flocked. Yeah, it's just like it's just not like I don't know. I personally don't think it's very sustainable. But like, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the average lifetime for a physio in Australia is maybe like four or five years. Maybe it's less now. And it's like the average study oh, time really? is like yeah, yeah. It's that, that's how long a physio lasts in Australia. And it's like, well, oh, I see that. Oh. I see that and I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, <laughs> like, you know, you study for like five or six years and maybe, or four to five years and uh, you're in the career for the same period of time. It's like, yeah, the burnout rate's pretty high. Like, makes sense. Holy shit. I wonder what it is in America. It definitely couldn't be that low because they, they come out of uni or whatever and they are like a hundred grand in debt or something like that. So they probably can't afford to leave the industry ever yeah that's probably true um so i don't have that level yeah. of protection you don't have I that guess. in australia though no like we still have to pay you like our fees no we've got like high fees and yeah. what but we've got like hex so it's all like or hex or help fees which is all like government supported so the government supported loans so it's like you sort of just pay it off as you go um but like these guys have like debts with banks which is just way different mm-hmm. that's fucked. um yeah it's fucked. um what what injuries are you seeing most of with sprinters? And Ooh. second part, what injuries? What, what do you think is the ha- what do you think is like the hardest thing to to rehab? Oh shit! Um, look, I have seen a An lot anterior of pel- hip and pelvis. Yeah, I was, I was going to say like any sort of, I mean, osteitis pubis isn't in diagnosis anymore, but any sort of anterior groin pain. Um, mm-hmm. particularly in sprinters and jumpers, jumpers is like anterior groin pain and like triple jumpers, just like absolute pain in the ass to deal with. Like there is certain things you can do to, to, to sort of mitigate them and, and like work on them. But like, I feel like it's one of those things that's really easy. It's like an Achilles tendinopathy. Like sometimes they're just like a pain in the ass to get rid of. And they just sort of like you get rid of them and you get them to like 90%. But they just kind of linger there for ages. And you're just like, and it's like, it's, it, well, actually, it's not until I saw a lot of your stuff where I'm like, okay, I can see how like you can sort of bridge that. I was really easy to get a lot of clients to maybe 80 or 90%. But then how, it's like you're bridging that gap to not flare them up. Yeah. Um, I, I find, yeah, I find that groans. Um, I think, yeah, groans probably. Um, to be honest, I. Funnily enough, I probably don't see... I've seen a lot of hammy, hammy tears. That's like 
just because I guess of the nature of being a sprint coach and sprinting mm-hmm. physio. Like I've seen a lot of hamstring tears, but like I probably, cause I mostly deal with my own athletes or, or, or a, you know, a, a smaller group, let's say like, let's say I deal with like 20 sprinters or something like that. Um, like, because I'm usually having some sort of direct effect on their training program and the hat, like the coaching of it, like they usually have pretty sound mechanics. So like, they're not typically getting hammy tears. Like, of course you still get them, but maybe like the severity is not as bad. And like, you know, I haven't, I've never seen like a, a full hammy rupture. Like I know people have seen like hammy ruptures, um, never seen like a full blown, like really, really bad one. Um, seen a couple of grade twos, a couple of grade ones, and it's all relatively standard rehab. And it's usually like comes down to either some sort of mechanical thing or like a true like overload load thing. Like they did it in a race, having raced like six times in two days or something like that because of like some major competition. Mm-hmm. And it's got like, mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do with anything else other than overload. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, that, the, the most common that I would see is just tendon pathology. Um, I see so much tendon pathology, um, whether it's like Achilles, adductors, even patella tendons, probably more those in the jumpers. Um, I've seen quadriceps tendons and also depends on the age of the athlete. So a lot of the age of athletes that I'm dealing with are sort of 18 through 28, 29. Um, I see some of them that are like a little bit younger, like 15, 16, but they're more developmental, like development sort of injuries, like, you know, like your know, Osgood Schlatters and um, Severs and stuff, which is yeah. more like the apophysitis and stuff. Um, but I, I probably say I usually see mostly tendon pathologies in general and mm-hmm. um, probably a less number of like true, like just general like muscle strains. Um, and I have seen, yeah, I guess ankle impingements and stuff like that, like jointy impingements. I'd say tendons probably the biggest for me. Yeah. Many proximal hamstrings? Yes. Uh, I haven't met a hurdler that doesn't have a proximal hamstring issue on their lead leg. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yet. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't met one yet. And I've met a lot of good high level runners. So, um, a lot of, I've actually seen a lot of distal medial hamstring, like semi tendinosis, semi membranosis, like goose's foot area. A lot of those, especially once there's been a bump up in percentage or there's been an increase in top speed or any overspeed work. Um, funnily enough, a weird one that I've seen a lot of is popliteus. Uh, like a popliteal type strain or tendinopathy, usually after improvements in acceleration. Um, and it usually comes down, like those two sort of usually come really close in together with each other. Um, yeah, I probably say I see more hamstring tendinopathies than I see hamstring tears. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough. Uh, yeah, it's tricky because you'd nearly rather a tear, to be honest. Because I probably pretty would. easy to rehab. Usually, you can just pin it. To, yeah, you you can usually just pin it down to like, okay, yeah, just a, a lot of time like an overload thing. Um, yeah. And if it's not, if it's a mechanics thing, usually, 
not that well obviously you can't like necessarily distinguish but the mechanics side of it is i don't think it's as hard to clean up as people seem to believe no. like you'll see some posts online and stuff where you people say like oh you 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 can't change mechanics i think that's just utter bullshit <laughs> to oh, be honest yeah, i no, think you can change things bullshit. fairly quickly and I agree. I reckon that's probably, you know, anything motor skill, motor acquisition, mate, that's way easier to, to, to fix than physiological tissue adaptation. That is for sure. I would take a muscle tear any day of the week over a tendon pathology of any sort. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the rehab process is so much cleaner. And usually with a muscle tear, um, it's kind of sometimes with hammies, at least a little bit of a blessing in disguise because it really forces you to tidy up your mechanics. Because mm-hmm. if you keep trying to run like that, coming back from a hammy tear, you'll just redo it or you'll re-aggravate it. So it, it really is, if you've got someone to help you, like point you in the right direction, um, then it can really, really be a useful thing um, in a weird way because it helps you tidy up all your mechanics and if you've got someone with the eye for it and also you're strengthening it up and it gives you that time to sort of step back and and be a little bit down in the percentages so that you can spend the time on the the low skill acquisition stuff um Mm -hmm. and and sort of gradually build it in yeah when you say so i'm going to ask you like a question now for so like people listening so when you say tidy up mechanics if people aren't particularly comfortable looking at sprinting or running um mm-hmm. what are some big things if you're if you're looking at someone whether they had an injury or not you're having a look at some at them running maybe you have some tape or something that you can watch what do you look what what are some big things you're looking at and what does like tidy up usually mean and i know it depends yeah, yeah. on the person but hope, i'm sure you can give us some broader okay. things yeah, there is some broader things. So there's, I mean, okay, firstly, I will say it all stipulates on, I'm probably a bit more scientific uh, just because of my background, like come from much more of like a biomechanics, obviously like I did undergrad sports science and a master's in physio. So like my eye is always going to be a little bit more that way inclined um, in comparison to maybe some other track and field coaches who might have like a, like just a very different eye to me. Um <laughs> But the, the, the thing that I always look at sort of like anthropometrics, number one, and number two, like what type of event they're doing. And like you can sort of like generally class, like th- there's general shapes and movements that you want to be able to see. Like, for example, for me, like simple things like striking under the center of mass or uh, making sure that they're, they're f- when on their pickup, like their free leg is not, you know, the angle's not opening up too much in the knee angle, which might cause them to strike down. And maybe even things like, you know, people say, you know, getting out the back, like what does getting out the back actually mean? It's like, so that this, so that when your ground contact is happening, your free leg is too, like far beyond behind your striking leg. Um, And you end up having like sort of a big circular, Seesaw. I think you've posted a video on this of that those college runners, the difference between the elites and the sub elites, and you can see that the the circle uh, is is like really out the back and 
sort of much more there's much more variations in movement whereas the sprint the elite sprinters were much more like the actual amount of movements a lot smaller it's just more efficient like it's efficiency of running right um so i think if you're looking at if you're looking at like just sort of knee angle hip angle ground contact and you can probably look at where the free legs coming through at ground contact like is it behind the body in front of the body or in line um they're probably like that's a good starting point but like to some degree you just have to watch sprinters like the amount of stuff that i've learned just from very very fortunately for myself being around incredibly incredibly elite athletes for like a long long period of time um is is like invaluable and like i probably have a bit more of an eye for it naturally now as a result just because i've watched it for so long like and i've watched rowan run for probably i don't know four or five years like and you know five years ago still a 10-2 runner like maybe 10-3 runner you know and so i've 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 had that like and i see that what three times a week because you know yeah it's like you know like i've seen that three times a week for five years like of course i'm gonna have an eye for it um and you can you you start to see the difference between you know someone who's running 10-0 10-1-10-2 and the guy's running 10-5 and then you can sort of almost start to pick out things like little little things that you know you may think is inconsequential but probably adds up and for a lot of those guys, it, it becomes an efficiency of running thing because a lot of them, they have similar outputs. Like if you look at the outputs in the gym, they're, they're all pretty similar. You looked at, you know, maybe they're, they're, from a physiological capacity point of view, that they would be pretty close to each other, but it, it comes down to like how well they can execute. There's also mental factors, like how we well can execute the race and all of that. But if you're looking at just, I guess, those few things, as you get, as you watch more, you will naturally refine things. And even like small things like, you know, I know, um, I can't remember who was saying it, but like, you know, apparently arm motion only contributes to like 1% of your speed or something or locomotion, 1% of locomotion. Like, I don't know how true that actually is, but like you might. Yeah, I'm super skeptical of that one. So the reason that I'm skeptical on that is because something that I've come to the realization of only quite recently, and it's again through watching really, really elite sprinters like in front of me is timing timing is everything because something that i notice with let's say uh someone like a rowan is his timing is freaking impeccable his for ability to produce force in a really really small short period of time it's precise the word is precise yeah, like but, it, but what but what does that mean for people listening like time his timing is impeccable like how in what way so so his the only way I, the only way I can really say it is like okay so let's say you got two guys you got one guy who's running 106 and then you've got one guy running 10o or 104 and 10o for example the guy running 10o his strides are patterned in such a way that the ground contact time can be short enough but the position can be completed perfectly so that it leads perfectly to the next step. It's like a dance, like as weird as it sounds, or like, you know, you find like a lot of the really good sprinters, like 
they come from you know african countries and they've got like drums and that they inherently like have really good rhythm and you even see them do their drills or sometimes they even dance like you know dancing to music their ability to keep to time and beats really 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 good and it's not something that they've been taught it's inherent usually a lot of the time and if you ask them have they done dance classes like like this is like what we do at home you know what i mean or like you know i listened to this music since i was like three but it's very rhythmic and you know even somehow sometimes how they talk is very like rhythmic and flowy and um even some of the the language that they speak is very very rhythmic in nature um and so they have this inherent timing and rhythm so for a lot of people a lot of thing that people struggle with is the timing but for example arm swing with leg swing um you could have someone who's really, really good in the gym. So, you know, I've got a, a, a female hurdler and she's really, really good in the gym. Like she's box squatted like 240 or something like that, 230 kilos. And she weighs like, I don't know, 60 odd kilos. And nice. she, she's got, and she's, she's pocket cleaned 80 kilos for reps, you know, all sorts of stuff, like crazy gym numbers. But like her output from a gym point of view to them, the track just, did not make sense at all and we figured out that you know we just got her to try and time it she figured this out herself actually she's like just my arm my arm to leg time is just completely off and when she was able to smooth that out you know whatever that looks like for you whether that's you know listening to a metronome or or literally like slowing down the movement or sometimes it's just trying to literally sync up your arms and legs you probably find that you naturally your locomotion comes a little bit better and faster and smoother um but it's like, you know, if you talk to like most sprint coaches, they're not telling you to look at your bloody arms. They're like, oh yeah, keep a bloody 90 degree angle and swing them. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, you know, maybe it's like, you know, for some people it's like, you know, hitting the elbow back or throwing your arm up or playing the drums or punching the air or punching the sky so that your, your, your timing is something, there's something to do with the timing there. And I think that's mm -hmm. like, you know, we say it only contributes to 1% of locomotion or whatever, but it, it's really, it's actually very important inherent part of sprinting that we need to pay attention to. But it's like, until you've got that general eye, you can't really look at that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really tricky, the timing conversation and the, especially the arms conversation, because like how, I don't know, I, I just can't see that 1% that thing, I, I, I get it. Like, I'm sure that's that's been measured in a certain way, but... Like everything depends on everything else, you know. Hundred percent. That's and and especially when you're trying to shave like very small amounts of time off, and actually not just especially that in anything. You'll see. You even go people watch people walking, and you see you look at arm swing. I talk about arm swing all the time, even in just walking gait, and it's so, yeah. such an interesting thing to look at. Some people don't swing their arms. Some people like don't move on their entire spine, their rib cage, anything. They just like bend and straighten their elbows to get there, to get some propulsion from. So I find it tricky to, it's, it's probably because like the reason that it's not paid attention to too much is because it's going to be tricky to cue because like these things are happening in such a short amount of time that how can you, like as soon as you start to give a conscious cue for something like that, that, that becomes that can be that can actually mess up the timing even though like you want to improve the timing you're actually doing the opposite so it is tricky but maybe that's where drills and stuff like that come in exactly yeah i couldn't agree more look i think something that i've come to the realization with with coaching only of really 
recent in the last probably year or six months is that you can you can coach two types of athletes. You can coach the guy who's a PhD in their sport. They know bloody everything about the sport. They know it inside out. Or you can just coach the guy who's has no IQ about it and just runs like a bat out of hell and just says, you know, coach says jump, they say how high. And they just literally re- do and repeat everything you say to the T. And then you've got the guy that's just got like a, maybe even a better understanding to sprinting than you, but you would just never know about it because they just are able to absorb information and take it on. And I think the things like understanding, like timing and stuff, when it doesn't come inherently to you or, you know, if sprinting at a a high speed doesn't come to you naturally, you probably need to be sitting in the group where you need to have a really good IQ and you need to look at people who are similar to you and you need to look at like other examples and you need to look at, you know, have a really good understanding yourself so that you can apply it to yourself. Cause it's like a lot of the time I'll say stuff or like I'll explain stuff to athletes and I'll explain it in like a hundred million ways over like a year. And then like, they come to me like, you know, freaking a year and a half later, they're like, Oh, like everything you said now makes sense. Cause I've just done like one run and they're like, Oh my God, like that was it. And I'm like, yeah, that was it. But it took them like a year and a half to get there. But like they've gotten like little bits of it in dribs and drabs. And that's where like the importance of drills comes in or like hopping things. Cause it's like, okay, you're getting like that one tiny little section of the segmented part of the running right there. That's what it feels like. But then it's also not what it feels like because you're not doing it at speed, but that's the position. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now I have an understanding of that position. And then like, just through repetition, maybe it, it transpires. But like we're making inferences with with drills. Like we, we are making assumptions, but so are people in the gym. Like you're making an assumption that an increase in force output's gonna in the gym is gonna equal an increase in force output on the track, which may not necessarily be true. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it just depends. I think with the drills, I think I think with the drills, like they've been criticized probably a lot over the last few years sometimes rightly so because i think some people actually believe like this this drill has like an instant transfer or instant carryover this is just going to make you faster and they just end up doing drills all the time and i think that's madness but at the same time i don't know me looking in from the outside like i there's a few there's a few things in favor of like doing drills i think one you have to warm up probably in some way so yeah you're getting a warm-up too like the, the same people who maybe criticize drills will also say like, okay, plyometrics are a good thing. Like do your plyos, but like uh, these drills are actually oh. training plyometrics in a lot of ways. Exactly. And then I think the other way, other thing is you're getting a chance to get some kind of sensation or slow things down a little bit and chase a little bit of sensation is probably the word I would use timing and sensation. And then you're trying to maybe bring that with you into the, it's just a part practice and take that into like the whole practice then. So I, I'm not a big, like I I don't work with that many sprinters. I get to work with a few. You'd see a lot of drills and stuff like the A's, the B's all creeping into like Gaelic football and hurling and uh, soccer and stuff like that. And I like it to be honest. I think it's good. I think it's I think it's good as long as you're not married to them, but I, I think they definitely can be useful. I really do. You know what I like about really drills? Useful. 
the thing that I like about drills is a lot of the time it teaches rhythm and it teaches timing. And if they're doing it soundly, if you can teach someone and cause I'm going to be honest, like I don't know many people that inherently have really good timing. Um, like there is, there is some out there, but like, some people just like, you can tell if they've got like a music background, like sometimes, you know, you get these kids, like I had these two kids, um, these twins. Um, and I was just like, within like two or three sessions, they're, I was just like, they're just running so much better just by visually watching them. Like I, to, I just asked like the, the mom, I'm like, like, you know, do these boys dance or do gymnastics or something like, Oh, and then she goes, yeah, I actually run a dance school. They, they break dance. They've been break dancing since they were like four years old. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Oh, no freaking wonder. Like, and I, cause a lot of the time when I do drills, like when I'm teaching kids, like I'll clap or put it to a beat. And as soon as you put a beat on it, it was just, the timing was impeccable. And I'll just, I was just starstruck. I was like, man, like these guys are like doing drills better than some of my opens athletes. And they've done like three sessions. Like it's crazy. And it's just like, it's just cause they had that inherent knack of rhythm. Um, yeah, they were probably. <laughs> They were probably babies, like at that dance school, just not even able to dance, and they were just watching the the other people in the dance school. Like, there's a lot to be said for that. Exactly, and like the thing with dance is being able to watch someone, like choreography, being able to watch someone and then copy and then copy to a beat is like actually very hard. Like, they probably don't get enough credit, and like. So then when you can bring those skills like across to sport, it's like, this is fucking gold. Like, you know, um, it's just unreal. Um, so with the gate, with the gate cycle, so you were describing, I think what you were describing was, you said the video that I put up, um, or that I shared of the, the two runners side by side, the, the bat, like the kind of backside mechanics, the guy that had, he, he was, he was getting a ton of knee flexion before he was getting any hip flexion. I think Correct. that's how I would describe that. So he's basically like kicking his butt, which is fine, but not actually getting any hip flexion at the same time. Yeah. Um, so he's, yeah. And then the, the thing from the, the thing from the strike is in front, he's, he's like striking out in front. And I know it, it won't necessarily be directly underneath your center of mass, but at least you're looking for some swing leg retraction for that foot to be coming back towards our, our like, so that gives you that hip hip extension in the air before the foot hits the floor. So um, yeah. I think those are the, like, those are probably like the two big things that I would be looking at. And I yeah. think in the swing phase, if you get, if you get those two things right, a lot of good things are going to happen. And a lot of good Correct. things are going to happen in the stance phase as a result of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think like, like if you were to pick like the, the, the two things, cause I mean, there's a million things to look for. Um, but if you, yeah, like if you were to pick two things to look for, it'd be like, where are they in the strike position and like, you know, where each leg is in strike position, let's just say. And mm-hmm. that's probably about it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. because their like, their 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 backside and their frontside is going to be cleaned up. Or are the backside and the frontside like cleaning that up will help them just strike in a better position. Exactly. So you know, if you're looking at the strike position, like if you had to look at one thing in isolation, I'd say look at their strike position. Is the 
the stance leg contacting underneath the center of mass, you know, to some degree, and is the free leg not in too much knee flexion, like you said, like out and really far, like quote unquote out of the back. Um, and mm-hmm. that's probably, probably like your, you know, fastest way to figure out. Well, you're released on the right track then. And if not, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, oh, as in if, if they're, <laughs> they're not striking underneath the hip and they're in a lot of knee flexion? Uh, yeah. So let's, let's say like you're not seeing, uh, what? yeah, you're not seeing things that you would like to see too much is, I know this completely depends, but like some people will go straight to the pelvis. They're trying to like get the pelvis into a oh, more God. neutral position. Some people will talk about the ribs. Some people will go straight to like, okay, here's the three drills that I use all the time. Some people will say it's a strength thing. Some people will even say it's a flexibility thing. Um, do you have a bias where you would typically go to there? Or is that impossible question? Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. Wanted to remind you about our new foot and Achilles program. It's over 1000 users now. And if you're not one of those, then you definitely should be. There's so much learnings in there, helping people get from kind of sore, inflexible, immobile, not very strong feet, all the way up to feet that can handle high levels of impact, very strong, very mobile. And you learn so much along the way, you get lifetime access. So absolutely, if you're interested in movement, I honestly think this is a non-negotiable program that you should have access to. So check out the link in the show notes for the foot and Achilles program. That is, I wish I had like a really clean cut answer there, but I have literally done (laughs) all of what you've just said in, sometimes I do all of it. Like, I like, again, like, I am in a very privileged, lucky position because I do the physio SNC and the sprints. So I yeah. see them in all contexts. So if I want to go test someone's hamstring strength, that's very easy for me to do. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can test the hamstring strength and look at their positional strength or do strength work. Or like, let's say, you know, a foam roller bridge or a 90-90 hamstring bridge or some breathing work and in the session itself and see if I'm going to get a change. Whereas maybe not a lot of other people are equipped or have that capacity to do that. Um, And so I'm really lucky in that sense because, you know, I'll be like, okay, like, you know, let's say, you know, your ribs aren't stacked and, you know, your hips are anterior tilt and you're contacting out in front of the, the the center of mass you know like your hamstrings are you know at a lot of length like if we try to do a breathing drill or or like some sort of hemi drill like in in a shortened position um is that gonna like i mean quote unquote prime you if that's if you like um for like a better position in your running or like in your drilling can you do it in your drilling because where i usually go is i i probably usually regress it all the way so i'd regress it to something on your back um and then something standing um like slash walking and then walking to like a drill drill to like a a build-up run build-up run to it to a sprint um Mm -hmm. and, and that's how i sort of look at it i'm with you yeah because I, th- I think when you look at someone like that, like you're saying, you're saying that maybe like their whole gait cycle is a little bit off or not, not looking exactly how you'd like it to. And I, know, I understand there's definitely a bandwidth, but like you're trying to clean it up 
by using cues in a drill or when they're actually sprinting. But if you just look at them walking or squatting or on the table or in a million other things, they look exactly like that as well. So they can't, they often can't like, they can't not look like that. Yes. And I I agree with you, but that's sometimes why I go to something like a breathing drill because it's a sensation thing. Because I don't necessarily want them to be thinking when they're sprinting. Because it's like, I just want them to understand the sensation and the position. Um, so like, I'm like, if they can understand, like, like you're saying, right? Like you're going to see it everywhere. Like if you've got a good eye for it, you're going to see it everywhere in everything that they're doing. Right. So if you can identify it in everything, like, okay, what's the, the furthest progression that you can do that you're happy with sort of like the, their organization, like their bodily organization and, can they remember that sensation or that, you know, I don't know if you want to say connectedness or, or they can have a memory of what it feels like to be in a position that let's say you'd like, can they then slowly bleed that into something at a higher intensity? Um, and like you, you naturally, like I will naturally attack it from all facets. I will naturally attack it in the drills. Mm-hmm. I'll naturally attack it in the warm up. I will naturally attack it in the gym program. I will na- and I will, you know, naturally, you know, I try I try and get them to do pool running and like focus on stuff in the pool, like at chest deep water, because the skill is slower and they've got the time to try and organize and self organize, and, and and have an understanding of their position. And because it's slower and there's more repetitions and they're not having as much contact load, maybe they actually find or have an understanding of the position a lot better. So like, I'll sort of try and attack it from all facets and get, and and it's because again, it's, it's a motor, it's a skill acquisition motor skill thing, right? It's not necessarily like Mm -hmm. they lack force output or they're weak. Like that's not always the answer. Like their weak is not always the answer. Like, as much as you'd like it to always be the answer, like it's just not. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you can, I think it's very rarely, it's very rarely the answer really, to be honest. Like when it's not, it's not that being stronger might not be helpful, but when you're dealing with particularly like the level of athlete that you're dealing with to just, to just say that they're, they're weak is a little bit of a, I think it's a little bit of a cop out, especially like they've been sprinting for years and years. They've been playing different sports. They've probably been in the gym for several years and they keep hurting their hamstring or their hip flexor or whatever the hell it is. Like, why is it that it's their hamstring and not their Achilles? Why is it that it's like, it's their groin on their right side, not their left side. So there's just, just that weak thing, just, that kind of wrecks my head to be honest and that doesn't mean we See, we shouldn't tr- be training people to get stronger but it wrecks my head precisely so uh this is that's like that's like actually perfect like how you said that cuz i i was i was a coach for the target talent program for new south wales this year which is just all like the really good junior athletes in the state and um i did that alongside murph and murph was over in europe for world champs and stuff and so I, w- I was sort of filling the role for him. And we, and we looked, we, we, you know, in this, we'd collect a whole bunch of data, right? So, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with some of the guys at VooMotion. Um, I don't know if you know who they are, but they do a lot of like the mo- AI motion tracking in gate. Um, they've done a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff um, 
like overseas just with like different teams and whatnot. And, you know, we, we got their, their data, uh, but then we also got their physiotherapy data, like their dynamometry, you know, their hamstring strength. Um, and obviously there's discrepancies in that, but I'll give you an example. I had a kid who had multiple hamstring tears, but on both sides, um, but he had more, had had more on the right. And his right stride length was reduced by, I think, 10 centimeters, something like 10 to 15 centimeters on one side. But he was like 10 or 15% stronger on that side. Mm. So it's like, well, okay, like you're missing the forest from the trees here. If you just keep, this guy keeps tearing his hammy, you keep telling him to get stronger. And you've been telling him that for the last, yeah. like, you know, three, four, five years or whatever. And you're not fixing the problem. You're not addressing the problem at all. He just keeps tearing it, you know, once a season or twice a season or whatever. And now he's got all like, you know, these poor beliefs around it and whatnot. But you never took the time to look at his running. Or maybe you didn't have the technology or the capacity to actually see that there was a difference in his stride stride length and ground contact times. But, you know, a 17 centimetre difference is a fair bit. Like... Or fifteen centimeters, a fair bit. You, you can visually, you can visually see that. Like at top end, you can visually see that. Even if you videoed it and slowed it down for yourself, you can visually see that. Ground contacts, you can easily measure on your phone as well. But both his ground contacts and his stride length and his stride frequency were all different. So it's like, okay, like, mm-hmm. well, it, there is a mechanical issue there. Like, you know, he's obviously trying to protect that leg, you know, and. And, and he also had he had reduced hip extension on that side as well. So he had reduced hip extension, a stronger hamstring, and a shorter stride length. So did anyone ever think to maybe work on his hip extension? Super and yeah, did anyone think to look, work on his hip extension and see if his stride length actually improved and he no longer had to put so much stress, stress on the hamstring? And it's like, you know, like... Mm-hmm. That's not like a, there's nothing fancy about that. It's not a difficult answer to come to. It's just actually looking at all of it though. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, yeah. it, you know, there's nothing impressive about that. You know, it's just, it's just looking at all of it. But you've got to take the time to yeah, do Yeah, you that. don't have to be a genius. Yeah, like it's, mm-hmm. no, yeah, just, not it at just all. takes time. And it, you know what it takes? You know what it takes more than anything? It takes curiosity and it takes the, you just have to be willing to acknowledge that everything isn't a strength or a load management issue. And that, that's not to say, like, he could have torn his hamstring the first time for, it could have been, he could have had, he, it could have been a pure load management issue. He just sprinted too much or he had too much load or whatever, and he tore his hamstring. And you could say, like, if this, is, this is a load management issue. But now you have the fact that, like, injury leaves a massive legacy. And regardless of now, now his load is being managed perfectly. Let's imagine now his hamstring is as strong as you're ever going to make it, or very, very strong, or stronger than the unaffected side. But the injury leaves a legacy, and now his brain and nervous system is finding a way to change how he actually moves. And that was a great short-term solution, but not a great long-term solution. So we actually have, if you remember, in the in the workshop with the in the drop jump section. We have um, or I have a like a little small section there where I ask people like which side is injured on the ACL side here, right or left, and the guy, the guy that I, I show in that, and it's it, it's obviously a much smaller, like sprinting is much more macro than this, but it's a similar example. The guy who is in the video, and I'm not going to give it away for people that um will still come to the workshop, but he he does a double leg drop jump. And then 
I asked like which side because it looks quite asymmetrical how he actually lands and how he takes off again. Yeah. And the side that the side that like he's basically offloading in that double leg drop jump is has a better RSI. It was the injured side and it now has a better RSI, but he still finds a way of completely like finding a way to just not load that side in the same way as the other side. So injury leaves a legacy. I think that's the main thing. Even if the first issue was load management, that's often not the issue anymore. And it's also asking yourself the question. It's like, I mean, in some way you could boil down everything to a load management and strength issue, but why is it a load management and strength issue? Like, is it a true load? Cause if it's a true load thing, it should happen bilaterally. Right? Like, if you were to say it's a true exactly. absolute load, it, it should be happening bilaterally. So why isn't it happening bilaterally? Well, then there has to be some sort of motor control, motor acquisition, or some sort of other injury leaves a legacy. Maybe there is some leakage or some difference in the system for, for a very reasonable reason, usually most of the time. And if it's weak or if it's extra strong, or like if there's a strength discrepancy, there's usually a reason that there's a strength discrepancy. And a lot of the time, again, it probably comes back to some type of motor acquisition, motor control issue. It's like, you know, that's why it's like the devil's um, in the detail a bit. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, but that's not where, where people want to go. They just want a, a clean cut <laughs> answer. It's stronger, it's weaker. Um, yeah. How uh, I've been meaning to ask you since the workshop, remember... Um, so you had, I think you said there earlier on that you had uh, a previous injury on your, one of your knees and one of your ankles on the same side. And yeah. we got you to do like the continuous hopping with the leg cycle. And that looked really good. And we got you to do, which is like a, a let's say a harder movement than the single leg drop jump. But on the single leg drop jump, the, the difference between sides was, most, was much more obvious. Have you taught more about that or played around with that? Yes, I actually, I did, uh, I did, I was very, very upset with myself about that because <laughs> I felt like that my, I felt like my ankle hopping should have been pr pretty good. Um, uh, especially, uh, I guess being a physio, I'm like, oh, mate, this is like early on in your rehab. Why did you skip this? Um, but I actually ended up doing a whole bunch of drop jumping and I did get better at it. Um, but what I would be really interested to look at is like my RSI um right to left and um it was very you know it was like what you were saying I, i've obviously you know i find ways around it i find compensation mechanisms and ways around it but as a result of fixing or like you know it's not fixed it, it, it's getting better on that that left side because that's the side i had a anchor reconstruction on um it i've actually found that my regular plyometrics and my ability to just more controlled load through the foot is a lot better. So I found that my plyometrics have just sort of like after the workshop, my plyometrics went through the roof, probably the best I've ever been in my life, to be honest. Um, cool. I think because, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and it's also one of those things, like I probably was hinging a bit better and doing other things a little bit better as well. Um, but yeah. I did think about that. And, and honestly, it that, makes, makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. I'm just, I'm just going to interrupt you for a sec. That's, that's really interesting because like we have, the plyometric it's kind of it's kind of labeled as like a, a progression let's say but only only really with, with with rehab in mind obviously if it's a healthy athlete it's not a progression it's just a, a mix of things but like the reason i say progression is you could go to the highest 
progression on on that table or on that chart that I have and you can work on that like continuous hopping with leg cycle being aggressive basically running on a single leg and look really good on both sides but then when we bring you back down to something like a single leg drop jump you looked a little bit of you look you look like you struggled on one side like everyone even people who didn't have a great eye they could or haven't seen too many of those type of plyos they could spot definitely like okay this side doesn't look as good as the other side so it's like if I, obviously if you could choose as an athlete which would you rather be really good at i'd rather be good at the hopping where you looked really good than the drop jump where you didn't look good but the reason i like something like a drop jump is even with especially with like hands on the hips and stuff like that is because it kind of it forces you to have to use your ankle and yeah. and your knee it forces you to have to use those it takes away all the other ways that you get propulsion and it's great that you can compensate. It's it's amazing that you can look really good in high level hopping and sprinting and stuff like that. And then you can take it back to a, a like a quote unquote much easier drill, and you can start to find like issues there. So I don't know. Two things can be like two things can live in existence at the same time, which is it's great to have the ability to compensate, but also maybe maybe we need to take a little maybe we need to give you back a strategy that you're missing in your body yeah i think it's like it's like what you you always sort of said like your body is so good at compensating that like you know you're never going to outthink your brain right like i i could never figure out that you know until it's like sort of puts you in a logical progression you'd never think that you know, you'd automatically think the logical way of thinking is that, okay, if he's bad at the drop jump, surely he's bad at the hop cycle. But it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's not how things transpire. Like it, you'd like it to be that clean cut, but it's just not how it works. And it, it's probably really important for someone like me or, or, or anyone to probably almost spend time in all parts of the continuum at some stage because and, and it's mm-hmm. good to go back and forth, like rather than being like, okay, I can do the thing at the end now. I'm only going to do the thing at the end, um, which is probably where I was. I'm like, I've always, I, you know, I can do hop cycles now. So why wouldn't I just do hop cycles? Because, you know, maybe I'm training multiple things, but having it, like you said, like putting my hands on my hips and making it more isolated and really like quite a, like, you know, for lack of a better word, making it more specific, I struggled. And it was very, I was very obvious. Um, so, you know, I think that's like, it's a really, it's a good, powerful tool to have. And it's probably something to, for everyone to keep in mind that even when you've got healthy athletes, like try some of the regressions because you'd be surprised at what gaps there are. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. That's that, that kind of speaks to what we're saying about the drills as well, because like you, you can look at, you can look at a, a world-class sprinter sprinting and say, why would I give them a drill because they can do the full thing so much better they look amazing doing the full thing but that doesn't mean you can't take something out isolate it out a little bit or not necessarily isolate it but stress some more isolated parts it doesn't mean that they are using everything to its fullest potential there's there's opportunities there and when we go into especially learn skills you know what i was thinking about this with regards to tiger woods the other day obviously his body has changed massively. He has massive yeah. constraints on how he can actually move now. He can hardly even walk. If you look at like, they get a camera shot of him walking from behind. 
his his lumbar spine is basically generating all of the motion because it looks like i think it's his right right side he it looks like he can't move his right ankle his right foot his right knee at all probably his right hip so he's getting all this weird transverse plane motion from his lumbar spine but still when he steps up to hit a golf ball like let's say take out the driver he can still absolutely smack that fucking thing and he has a completely body different body now than he did before but like the whole skill is in his brain and i think it's i i I think of this this isn't like a research backed or anything but i think like the skill is him just that end part of the of the swing is just connect with the ball and the driver or the club like at a certain velocity and i think his body even though it's not probably not the exact same in terms of like how hard he can hit it or how far he can hit it now i still think like the skill is there for him to just connect this part of the club with this part of the ball at this speed and his body finds a way to do it and it's it's insane that the constraints have changed so much and he can still absolutely smack the fucking thing and and this is like this is also my thing with like talking about timing like that's exactly what i'm talking it's precision it's mm-hmm. timing it's your ability to yeah. do that inherently no matter the circumstances and it's like you know someone like i i have watched tiger I, i'm a bit of a you know golf fan and you know i have watched tiger woods and like you know you can see the evolution of him in terms of like you know over the years like i grew up watching him you know what i mean he's always been that sort of that guy and it's exactly right. Like he, there's no way he moves anywhere. Like in terms of his walking and like how he gets around day to day, it's nowhere remotely similar to how he was when he won his first PGA, you know, title. And um, it's like you know, it's exactly what you're saying. Like how how can he? He's he's just done it so many times that he has that precision and that capacity to just time everything so perfectly. And it's like you know, timing that is is he's got that capacity no matter what he his constraints are yeah it's fascinating it's fucking yeah his issue now is like he just can't walk around to get to the (laughs) ball enough he's just fucked by the time he gets to the ball yeah Uh, yeah so so yeah it's it because like if you if if the the thing with like the the coaches with regards to self-organization and stuff there's this idea that like there whatever way especially in the physio world now whatever way a person is doing something must be the best way to do it like don't coach them because their nervous system knows best and it's interesting talking to someone like you because like in the physio industry now like you're not allowed to mention the word posture anymore because posture we don't know we know that posture doesn't equal pain so that means like posture is gone you're not allowed even you're almost not allowed coach anymore you're just you literally just have to be like just get them to do the thing and they'll figure it out and historically i think especially in the track and field world there's a technical model that people have been much and they speak about posture a lot so you're kind of you're kind of caught between the the two there which is yeah 100 percent. and it's it's really interesting for me because i think where you know i i am sort of like you know i am caught between two like you said so like posture doesn't equal pain but maybe posture equals performance you know like can can i say that like i don't don't know maybe maybe that's what it is and okay so like you know like we know if you're going to get into you know this particular position 
like yeah you you are going to produce force better like you know uh or you know if you know you are in uh, maybe for the from the pain point of side of things it's like oh like okay we we just want you to have variability of movement you know okay so like you know let's give that area variability of movement let's get movement in all planes in all axes and loaded in all directions but then for performance it's like well i'm actually trying to limit the range and make it smaller so that you can produce the most force in the in a tight you know tidy quote unquote tidy efficient way um and so like you said it's it is naturally polarized but it's like you kind of need both <laughs> so you know in order to keep a happy healthy body and have posture for performance you also need to have variability of movement and not have any posture so it's like well what is it you know there's, there's no answer um mm -hmm. yeah it's tricky there's no there's no there's no way a sprinter and a swimmer are ever going to look like they have the same posture nah. so it's not that one is good or bad but definitely people can be set up for success more like there's a reason why a lot of sprinters yes there's a big there's a big there is a, a, a variability, obviously, in structure and skill and technique and stuff like that. But if you were to zoom out and look at like a lot of shit runners and a lot of very good runners, the, a lot of the good runners look more similar. You, you could pretty much, I think, pick out like here's the world class people and here's the shit people that can't run at all. I think, I think you can pick them out. Whereas in the physio world, I don't think they, I don't think they, ex I don't know, I, I think you can have a technical model that you can move towards while understanding that pain is multifactorial and pain is a, a slightly separate thing. So, yeah. And it's, it's I funny because I don't know. it's funny as well. Cause you know, I, I, I hear both ends of the stick, you know? Um, and so <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe I'm, uh, I've got maybe a better understanding of both maybe because of that, but I'm probably, more and more impartial to both as well but you know i'm going to say that yes although all swimmers aren't going to look the same as all sprinters maybe there's a generalized swimming posture that might be a bit better for performance and there's also probably a generalized running you know one that might be better for, for performance that's that's the yeah, that's probably all i can say what, um, <laughs> where uh where can people find you vas uh, so people can find me uh, on Instagram at the Sprinting Physio. Um, same like on pretty much all socials, um, and uh, I, I will probably be starting to do some like online consults and stuff like that soon. So keep an keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll be um, I'll be trying to. I've been helping some people like interstate and, and internationally now, so I'll probably try and make that a, a viable readily available thing um and uh mm -hmm. yeah that's probably probably the main areas um and if you've got any like in-depth questions that you'd like answered you can just email me um at busryancoaching.com at busryancoaching at gmail.com you're opening up a can of worms there with the email yeah <laughs> <laughs> we actively encourage people not to email us. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Kind of. Um, no, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, it was uh, it was great to have you at the workshop. It was really good. It was really fun. I think you added a lot to it. And uh, I was looking forward to this chat for a while. So thank you very much, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's uh, 
this is probably a bit surreal for me because I probably looked up to you for many years whilst I was, you know, studying and whatnot. So this is a, this is a nice moment for me too. Hey guys, David here again. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Vass. Lots to learn there, lots to think about, I think. Um, just a reminder, check out our Foot and Achilles program. I know I've said it a few times, but if you're interested in learning about lower leg, lower limb training and rehab, Foot, Achilles, Shins, Ankles, Honestly, I think it's the best program that's available. Lots of stuff that you won't have seen before. Lots of ways of queuing things that you won't have probably used before or definitely won't have used before. And lots of ways to connect hip stuff and foot stuff together. So loads of great info in there. And I think, honestly, you really wouldn't regret getting your hands on it. So uh, check it out. I'll leave the link in the bio. Apart from that, uh, great to chat to Vass. Hope you enjoyed it. And I'll chat to you guys next week.